Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I am your co-host, Justin Tyler McElroy I. And I'm Sydney McElroy. That implies that there will be a second. You never know, Sid. You never know. A lot of oh, people... Oh, I know. No, I know. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Dr. Wilde knows. Everybody knows. Uh... uh that there will not be a Justin McElroy II. We got all the kids we can handle. Yeah. Who's Dr. Wild? I don't know. I couldn't remember the actual name of the, the dude who did my vasectomy. So I know there's a <laughs> dentist in town called Dr. Wild. And I just thought it was so funny to go to a dentist named Dr. Wild. It just uh-huh. seemed like uh, kind of a stretch. You know, it's funny. I've been thinking a lot about... Um, when you had your vasectomy? Yeah. Um, fondly thinking back to it. Because it's the last time I was able to sit for two days um, and play and do nothing um, mm-hmm. with... With ice. frozen peas. Uh, yeah, put frozen peas on my genitals. <laughs> um, and I'm th- I've been thinking back fondly to it. It was a very relaxing time in my life. I could now the diff- it could have gone anywhere, which makes it a lot nicer. But I I didn't, and that's a key difference to where we're at right now in mm-hmm. our lives. Right. I I think what you are experiencing, uh, maybe a lot of people are experiencing, although. Probably not longing for a surgical procedure that they've had in the past. Perhaps, perhaps remembering fondly a recovery. Uh, the recovery period yes. of a surgical procedure. Perhaps uh, you never know. Um, I never had my tonsils out, but I always remember everybody talking about how you got popsicles afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like something you may remember fondly. Uh, would you say you're experiencing some nostalgia? That is more than fair, and not just about. Uh, surgery recovery said I've been experiencing a lot about a lot of things that I feel like I maybe didn't appreciate uh, Mm -hmm. when I could do them uh, leaving the house yeah that's a great one going to the store or the mall the mall oh Mm, don't say the movies restaurants movies oh I miss movies I miss them Uh, being in crowds I always uh, I did not enjoy being in crowds until I couldn't and now I miss being in a crowd can you imagine what that would be like no, it's wild. it's wild to think about. Uh, I got an email requesting that we talk about nostalgia, which I didn't know had a history as a an ailment, as a diagnosis, not just a feeling, uh, until I received this email, and I was very, I'm very grateful that I did because I find this fascinating. This is really. You've gotten uh, into this one. I love it when Sydney gets excited about a topic, um, especially when she reads a lot about it, because it means we get to. 
uh, have a lot of conversations about it, and um, I love to see you captivated. It's one of my favorite Sydney modes. Hmm. Well, thank you. I'm reading a whole book about it now, which I'll I'll talk a about a whole book, a whole book about no it. No need to brag, Doctor McElroy. <laughs> Uh, and I, I also felt like it was timely. I think a lot of us are probably experiencing that longing mm. for a time oh, yeah. before. Any other before time, time, pretty much. Thank you. I, when I looked back, I realized several people have recommended this. Thank you, Miranda and Matt and Brittany and Anna and Lauren and Jeremy for emailing and mentioning this. I did not, like I said, I, d- I had no idea of this history of the, of the concept of the word nostalgia. Um, and maybe you don't either, so. Safe bet. Yeah. Safe bet if you didn't. The word itself. Unless it had an article in Uncle John's Bathroom Reader, I am not aware of anything medical that you don't know about. Okay. You're not aware of anything. No, that's fair. Yeah. Yes, that is true. The Unless w- <laughs> there was an article in Uncle John's Bathroom Reader, one of the mini volumes. The word comes from the Greek. Uh, I knew the algae part from algos, which is pain. Anything with an algia is hurting. A myalgia, your muscles are hurting. An arthralgia, your joints are hurting. So algia usually means pain. So that's the algia part of nostalgia. Um, but I didn't know the other part, nostos, coming, comes from the Greek for homecoming. Mm. So it's an interesting concept, homecoming pain. The pain of homecoming, pain associated with I, homecoming. I experienced that quite a few times in my high school years. <laughs> A lot of rejection there. I believe I was one of the. <laughs> yeah, we don't need it. Well, that's on a story that. for another. You'd broken my heart. We at don't. Church I camp just said and, you said we didn't need to dwell okay. on it. Anyway, I think it's interesting because as we'll get into how this term came about, but it's it's actually not a homecoming, right? It's like a psychological homecoming that you're experiencing. Right. You're you're mentally home going home, and yes. that's causing you pain. But the the. Origin of it comes a lot is a lot more literal. The idea of pain because you can't, because a homecoming is not occurring. You okay. can't go home. So the term almost wasn't. It's really weird to think about like the the history of this word because I think the idea of nostalgia means so much to us now, and I feel like especially uh, as a kid of the '90s, mm. seeing like the fashion trends and things of today, it feels very poignant to me. Cause I see a lot of people that I'm like, you're walking straight out of Adelia's catalog from 1996 <laughs> right now. Um, Reference I can enjoy and appreciate. <laughs> but uh, I don't think, I don't think Johannes Hoffer knew about Delia's catalog either. Uh, he was a medical student in Basel, Switzerland in 1688. He was seven, he was studying a mere 17 miles from his hometown of Mole House. Uh, but 17 miles was a lot harder to travel back then, I guess. Sure. Yeah. You know, like. What are you going to do? No get, cars. Get a horse? Okay. No well, yeah. I mean, I think. They're expensive. Like a horse. Yeah. Or a buggy. Probably. They're probably lying all over the place, though, horses back then. Probably not as hard to come by. <laughs> he had previously read in theology and philosophy in university, but he had decided to pursue medicine as his career, and that's where he went to medical school. Um, and at the time, it was required that medical students present uh, sort of a preliminary dissertation about some sort of disease state or treatment, and then you would have to, like, you'd write your paper describing it and then present it to a panel of physicians and, and defend it like a dissertation, right? Um, and typically, you would choose something uh, that was known, like... I'm just going to 
do a deep dive into this already well-described and understood condition or well, we thought we understood it at the time. And then I'm going to present it and they're going to ask me some questions that I'm that just to prove that I know about it. And that will be the whole thing. That was kind of the, the idea. Uh, and the, these were called disputatios. What he presented was called a dissertatio, which is a whole new idea. The idea as a medical student, I'm going to present to you a whole new disease that I have named myself. Pretty big swing, I feel like. It is a big swing. It's it's it is. It's a I mean, if you can imagine if you are in medical training doing that right now, like, hello, fellow doctors, I came up with a disease and I'm going to tell you about it now. It'd be wild. Uh, he now the idea that there was this illness that had not yet been named was already out there. Obviously, he didn't you know him in the idea. Right. Um, <clears throat> there was the idea of Heimway or homesickness or what the French called uh, la maladie du pays, um, which was a disease state. The idea that you could get so homesick that you were sick, literally sick, not just like I miss home, like I'm in bed, I have a fever. I Bro- Like broken heart syndrome, the idea that you could so, be yes. experience something emotionally so much that it would cause a physical symptom. Although at that point, you have to understand the idea of like, how the mind connects to the body and um, not just the emotional part of that, but the actual like chemical, you know, neurotransmitters and things. None of that was understood. No, we had no. Right. We had 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 no. no Right. This is all before those concepts. Um, He uh, he was also inspired by stories of like soldiers or uh, servants who would commonly be sent from their home you know, hometown, maybe their little village to go work in like a rich person's house in a city or something. And so be very far away from home and probably not, you know, if you're a soldier, you can't go home until you're given the order to. And if you were one of these servants, you were not allowed to Mm -hmm. maybe never. Yeah. Depending on what the, you know, what, what you were contracted or whatever to do. Um, And these people would be removed from their native lands and then would get very, very sick. And until they were, kind of repatriated, put back home, they, some of them would die. Uh, That's how severe this illness was. And so he wanted to describe that. What was that? It's also probably, I would imagine at this point, like more like brutal because you didn't spend time away from where you were. Like most, like these days, you know, we have planes and cars and what have you so you would you you know it wasn't it's not uncommon i think for people to travel far away from their home for periods of time must be very much more jarring if you've lived your entire existence in one place to find yourself you know halfway across the world you see a lot of this uh, and i i was going to get into this a little later but i think it it it's good to bring it up now what you're talking about is one of the reasons why they thought initially the people who got this illness got it this concept that Uh, especially people in rural communities Mm -hmm. or mountainous areas grow up sort of isolated and only know their families, the people immediately around them. And so when you take them away from home, they feel that a lot more intensely than people who grew up in cities who maybe are used to the idea that you leave your families at some point. It is just normal. Like I will move away and I'll, you know, we'll write letters or whatever, but this is just not, it, it's normal. Um, and you can see as this idea 
of this as a, of a, an illness is more and more understood that kind of argument. Like, well, it's just these rural mountain people who get it. Mm. Um, which I felt, I, I feel like it's very interesting because I see echoes of that in the way we talk about West Virginians today and probably other regions of Appalachia. How so? The idea that people always come back. Mm. You've heard this, I'm sure. West Virginians, ha- they always end up coming back home at some point. They mm. might move away, but they come back home. I've heard that concept. I have no idea if that's true. I don't know of any evidence for that. But you'll hear that idea that like, well, people from these mountainous areas feel that pull to go back home. Um, and it, it, it's weird because you got to wonder if there aren't like cultural, you know, th- this is kind of uh, reverberating throughout time, this this idea. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, he tried out different ideas for how he would name this. Um, eventually, he try, or, or initially he tried nosomania, which means return madness. <laughs> it's a little much. <laughs> That's a little intense, I feel. He tried uh, philopatridomania which is literally madness caused by yearning for the homeland. A little verbose. But nostalgia was the one that he liked the best. It was the one that stuck. And it makes sense. It sounds nice. It's right? a nice sounding word, yeah. He, he also wanted to separate it from a mania because uh, a mania at that point was a, a clinical entity that was seemed a lot uh, less, you couldn't understand it and you didn't quite know what to do about it at that point, the, all the different things they called a mania because there were lots of different things that are not what we would describe today as like a diagnosed manic state that would fall under the heading at this point of mania and he wanted something that you could fix okay and nostalgia was known to be fixable as as he will as we'll get into so he presented his paper with his definition his name his treatments his case studies the physiology of it whatever he defended it his mentors jacob harder and theodore zwinger uh, both thought he did a great idea and they took or did a great job and they thought this idea was so important that they took an unusual step they published it this would have this was not done for a preliminary medical student dissertation sure this was not typical so the fact my first research project exactly the fact that this was published was very strange um and zwinger would go further later when he published a collection of important papers he included this in there and it is fair to say that both these other guys would kind of take credit for this at different times Mm. um but i guess at this point in history that was not uncommon things were kind of generated from like a student and a professor collectively and it was not unusual for a professor to maybe take credit for a student's work and things as, as to exactly who wrote what was always sort of nebulous. So yeah. that th- these are not bad guys. This was the time. Um, the symptoms that Hoffer laid out were very varied. Some had what you would expect, sadness, obsessive thoughts about their homeland, anxiety, insomnia, weakness, loss of appetite, those kinds of things. Right. Things we would expect with someone who. Uh, what we would probably call depression, right? Um, others would progress to things like fevers or breathing problems. Some might have clotting issues. Really? Or wow. Brain inflammation, rashes, bleeding, irregular heart rhythms. It seems like a lot. Things that we probably would not call nostalgia now, right? Mm-hmm. So you can see where this idea of nostalgia encompassed. A longing for home, probably psychiatric diagnoses of things like depression and anxiety, and then also some other uh, illnesses that were just kind of thrown in there. Yeah. Um, 
But if they happened in somebody who was missing home, they called it nostalgia. His theory, Hoffer lays out as to why this happens. What is going on in the human body? Because this was very Physi- much physically speaking, you mean? Yes. What is on the physi? What is the physiology of this? Because this is uh, as medicine is moving away from the humors and moving into this sort of like mechanistic view of the human body. So this was at a this moment in history is a transition point in our understanding of what's happening. So it would be typical for you to try to explain on like a microscopic level what is happening in the brain when this happens. He believed that our our animal spirits our anima, our soul, if you will. This animal spirits is what they would have called this. And this was not a spiritual concept, but this is, but I mean, and there, there's a lot of overlap there. What are, whatever we're talking about, these animal spirits were walking along the white tubules in our brains and would get stuck in the oval center, which is where our memories are. In the oval center? These were the names the, the, anyway, like so in, the oval, in the oval center of our brain, where our, memories, <laughs> where our memories of our home and times gone by all live, the animal spirits would be wandering down those tubules. They'd kind of get stuck there on one specific memory of our home. Typically, this was very much associated with like your home, your homeland, your home town, your house, your, you know, your home. And they would get stuck there and kind of clogged up. And they would excite that one region over and over and over again, just that one until like, as you as you can kind of envision, you're focused on it, you're hyper focused on it, you're obsessed with it. And what would result from that, your imagination would be stimulated and you would begin to visualize and like vividly imagine this memory that these animal spirits in your brain are stuck on. I, you know, I was ready to get all smug when uh, it was. The, you said we're moving away from humoral medicine into a more mechanistic <laughs> view. I was like, that's right. Here we go, real science. Show them how it's done. I did not expect you to be like. So anyway, we got a brain yoke, and there's a bunch of uh, tiny brain dogs, and they latch onto a memory, and they clog up your brain pipes. You know, just basic science. I think it's beautiful. It's I, beautiful. I'm not, I... It's just like I'm not sure how how much we've improved over the humoral system. System with this particular, at this I particular it's, point. It's so evocative. The idea that you're, I mean, and this is at a time where things like passions and imagination were um, dangerous ideas because they led people to behave in ways that weren't orderly and to think in ways that weren't orderly. And so when you say it stimulates the imagination, that's not like imagination. <laughs> it's like, uh-oh, now we're in trouble. So these were very serious ideas that were being communicated. And, and I know it seems silly, but it's kind of a beautiful way of imagining nostalgia. Mm. Your mm-hmm. passions get focused on something that you remember until you can visualize it. You see it, you're experiencing it and feeling it so strongly, but you can't have it. And so the longing becomes so intense. Mm. Um This was his idea. But anyway, because of this, it blocks the flow of these spirits throughout the body through what was known at the time as the common sensorium, which is what was thought to connect your mind and your body um, because all the animal spirits get clogged up in your brain. Uh, So the rest of your body suffers. So your blood becomes thick and clots. Your phlegm becomes too thick. From the dog, from the tiny spirit animals. (laughs) Well, no, because they're not there. They're up in your brain. Oh, right. Okay. They're they're stuck up in your brain. And normally they would be thinning out your blood and mucus. Mm -hmm. Thinning those things out. Your gastric juices are diluted of all the things they need. And so that's why you don't have an appetite because you can't digest food because nothing's working properly. the tummy dogs aren't there. (laughs) 
In terms of treatments, what he proposed was the usual stuff first. Some mercury, sure. maybe some wine. Uh, try this thing that might make you puke. A variety of tonics for things like fevers or a heart tonic, things like that. If all else fails, bleed them. Right. Bleed Bleeding was always recommended. Um, and all the while, while you're doing this, distract them. Try to get them to focus on now and here and where they are. Don't tell them well, we got to forget about home. You got to you can't think about that place anymore. That's gone. That's uh, over. Yeah. Um, but there was only one cure. And that, that was the nice thing about this and why I, I think you could theorize he would want to present it is that there was a surefire cure to nostalgia. Send them send home. Go home. To send him home. And that's what he says. At the end of the day, wherever your patient is in the world, no matter how sick they are, if you have to put them on a stretcher, get them home and they will always 100% of the time be cured of their illness. Hmm. Um, what's weird about it is that so he puts this out there into the world, creates this word nostalgia, this idea, nostalgia, like solidifies it as a concept. He finishes his medical studies. He His final dissertation, like his big work, by the way, was about uterine dropsy, which was the uterus filling with fluid and becoming inflamed. Anyway, nothing to do with nostalgia yeah. is my point. So he goes on to never write about or talk about or lecture about nostalgia again. He goes back to his hometown. He becomes a doctor. Um, I, I thought you would appreciate this. He later decides to leave his medical career for public service. He becomes... Burgermeister. <laughs> what? It's like the head of the town council was called the Burgermeister. Ah, oh, dang it. I cooked up a list in my head of like 10 different things Burgermeister could be. And that's like the not even in the top 100 coolest. So he was the Burgermeister. And then he ascended the. <laughs> can I be Burgermeister? You can be the Burgermeister of our house. Yes. Um, he, he ascended to other levels of public service and spent the rest of his life. And I mean, he did important work in his town, but he never address nostalgia again he just like threw this idea out into the ether and then went back to his life and then uh, and then of course we've never heard of nostalgia since then uh no that's not actually what happens no me. i'll tell you what happens next but first we got to go to the billing department let's go the medicines the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth we have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. 
Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So nostalgia has been uh, is running wild, is set free. The idea has been unleashed on an unsuspecting populace. It's interesting the power of um, language and and using if you if you want to persuade people, if you want to convince people, make sure the words you pick sound nice is really illustrated here. And having a word for it, like yes, it, it, it really does condense the. There's a lot of ideas that I think it would be easier to communicate if we had words for them. Do you know the one I was thinking about yesterday? I wish there was a word for, I know it looks like my hands are really full and I need help, but if I let any of these things go, I'm going to drop them all. So please just let me go to where I need to go. Imagine we had one word for that very complicated concept <laughs> that we need to communicate to people. For me, like on a weekly basis, like I, I know it looks like I'm carrying a lot of things and I need help. But if I let one of these things go, I'm going to drop them all. So please let me go on to where I need to go. Give me one word for that, please. Well, I mean, that's on you come up with it. Well, Make it. I don't have that kind of power. Maybe if it was a hashtag. I don't know if Dr. Hoffer did, but he thought he did, and he did it. So I guess that's true. Maybe I should just believe in myself. I'll give you a magic feather later. Right, the problem I've always had is confidence. <laughs> I don't think as that's a, true. As a cis white man, uh, <laughs> I've always struggled with confidence. And Anyway, nostalgia was out there. And it, it's funny because there were f- further publications of his paper, like in collections and things, where authors would try to change it to other words. They would change the word nostalgia to other terms, but nostalgia kept coming back. That was the one that stuck. And it Mm. does sound nice, especially compared to the other ones we've talked about. It was a nice sounding thing. It's weird because you really, what you talked about, why didn't he just write about a subset of melancholy? Melancholy was a well-known diagnosis at the time, which again, similar to depression today, but kind of a, a more nebulous idea. But uh, why you know this could have been looked at as a subset of melancholy. A lot of the symptoms were very similar. Other than returning home, the treatments were pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, although with melancholy, you usually told people to travel. 
<laughs> what you need is a good travel. Shake it up. Feel better. Um, the the idea was really important for a few different reasons. Like I said, this was a time where we were shifting in our understanding of disease and what caused it away from the humors. Uh, we've talked about before ontology, the idea that we need to classify like in taxonomies, all of this was the era of that. We're moving into the time where people sat down and just made big trees of medical diagnoses. This is part of this tree and this is a subset of this diagnosis and all that kind of thing to try to classify everything that could go wrong in the human body. Um, our, like I said, our, our concept of emotion and passion and all this was changing. Is it good or is it bad? Um, if you have these kinds of problems, are you a weak person? That was initially thought, like if you were prone to nostalgia, are you, is there something wrong with you? You're, you're weak. Mm. Um, and there's something wrong with like your, the way that you think and feel your emotions are bad or moving into as the years pass, this idea of sensibility as being a good thing. Someone who was able to cry and experience emotion and passion was thought to be more in touch with their pure self, more in touch with nature. Um, it, again, there's this tie to like people who live in rural areas are able to cry like this because they have been they haven't been like diluted by city life yet. Right, right. Um, Untouched. This, like myself. This, yeah, this kind of like longing for nature and connection. That that idea was was big at the time. And nostalgia spoke to all of this, you know. And so I think it really captured a lot of people's imaginations as like, oh, maybe this explains it. Maybe this is the key. This mm. is the thing we have not been able to figure out. And as our world is changing so rapidly, this is why we're not adapting. If I don't feel good, I have an answer now. Um, and soldiers got it a lot. It's interesting. Hoffer didn't write about soldiers at all in his dissertation, which is a weird thing to leave out. Yeah, it's like it's almost like a built-in control group almost that you would have. You know what I mean? And it was it was known to occur most commonly among soldiers, hmm. specifically. Swiss soldiers, which may be why Hoffer didn't mention it is because the Swiss uh, soldiers did not like this connotation because when this first the, this idea was first introduced, it would have insinuated like our soldiers aren't very good because they get homesick and they get nostalgia and then you have to send them home. Yeah. So you wouldn't. It's kind of like you're undermining your military might yeah. by putting out this idea that like, hey, you know what a lot of our soldiers get? A debilitating <laughs> illness that will necessitate you to send them home. This was also a time where Swiss mercenary soldiers were very commonly rented out by other nations, you know, to be used in their wars, mm -hmm. especially France, but, but other countries as well. Swiss soldiers were sent all over the place because they were known to be, you know, an elite fighting force. Mm -hmm. So Hoffer doesn't talk about soldiers, but they were by far the most common patients hmm. to get nostalgia. Um, and uh, and to the extent where there was this story that was passed around that there was a certain song you could not play around Swiss soldiers. There are... Um, Who let the dogs out? <laughs> no. There are uh, sheep herder songs, simple melodies that would be played out in the fields to call mm. the sheep back in. And that if you played these songs around a Swiss soldier, they would just dissolve into tears and like be unable to function and you would end up having to send them home. Um, the They were called uh, Ron, Ron de Vache 
is what they're called. These songs. You've heard one. Um, it's about a black sheep. Do you know it's the it's had a lamb. <laughs> it's the flute solo in the third section of the overture to Rossini's William Tell. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> just click and we can play it here. Yeah. I'll, okay. I'll I'll just do that for you, Sid. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. That. And if they would hear it, they would dissolve into tears because it would remind them so strongly of their homeland. I have that for Nick, 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 Nickelodeon. <laughs> so I get it. That makes me very nostalgic for my for my youth. It's like when a West Virginian hears country roads. No. <laughs> no, it's not like that. We get a we get a belly full of that. <laughs> uh as the now as the wars continued throughout that century you would see nostalgia diagnosed among soldiers from all countries. So it, it less and less became associated with the Swiss to the great relief. I'm sure of, of the, the Swiss, Swiss. people. <laughs> um, Our thing is chocolate and knives and we don't need to talk about nostalgia anymore <laughs> and the clocks. Yes. Okay, fine. Chocolate <laughs> knives and clocks. That's us. And the cheese, the holy cheese. You guys love that. There's lots to offer. Forget about our <laughs> debilitating own sickness. Uh, it was the it was the only thing you could be sent home for in some armies, particularly in France. Uh, that was the one thing like that you just had to discharge the soldier and let them go back home, at least for a temporary leave, uh, because there was no other cure. And it would be completely debilitating to the military force if you left them think there. About, think about how much easier things would have been on Klinger if this had been the case. He could have just walked mm -hmm. around instead of. You know, trying to get discharged for mental illness, he could have just walked around like, I miss my dad. I really miss my dad. You know, he talks about home so much. Like, they order ribs from his hometown at one point because he misses them so much. I'm saying. Yeah. This, he, this time period, he would have been fine. In the, in the Civil War time period or in the, the times of these, the, the, the Napoleonic Wars, he could have been diagnosed with nostalgia and sent home. We should do a fanfic <laughs> of MASH where we, like, he digs out this obscure rule and he's like trying to employ it that'd be mm -hmm. a good app and then the other characters do doctor it, stuff it was not uncommon if you look at like discharge papers from the time nostalgia was a diagnosis um that was given and uh there were other cures of course especially because of the military connection you would see things like just bully them out of it mm. um unfortunately especially as we move into like this was common in the civil war in the united states too and the idea that you would shame them or bully them until they you'd be homesick for your half of the country that you're not <laughs> in anymore um there were also ideas about altitude there was this for a while people thought well since it mainly happened among swiss people maybe it's because they're used to being up in the mountains and now they're at these lower altitudes so what we need to do is put them in a tower so they would like Stored try to take them up to Perfect. a high building. That didn't work. Probably not a high um, building. People <laughs> at this time period, I would imagine. Well, as high as they had. Right. Uh, people tried it's three like, stories. What do you want? Are, why don't you feel better? You're 30 <laughs> feet off the ground like an eagle. 
They tried to like give them dairy products because they thought it had something to do with hearty mountain breakfasts. Sure, granola, <laughs> um, but none of that stuff helped. Uh, and this was a huge point of contention in the military because doctors would be saying, listen, they have nostalgia. We got to send them home. There's nothing we can do. And a lot of the military officials were like, well, you're depleting our forces. You can't do this. So hence the shaming, the bullying. There was one uh, commander who was rumored to bury soldiers alive if they suffered from nostalgia yeah. as a threat to everybody else. Basically, this is what happens if you if you have this. Probably carrying your nostalgia. Yeah. So, but a lot of a lot of doctors, you'll see, a lot of soldiers did get sent home for this reason. Um, as there were a lot of associations with nostalgia and tuberculosis. Tuberculosis, we've talked about on the show before, was a romantic disease for a while. Mm. It was thought a very poetic, beautiful way to be fit. Go. <laughs> um, and lovesickness, homesickness, nostalgia, all this. If you were a truly sensible person, if you were really in touch and able to experience real emotion, these were acceptable ways to go. Nostalgia got tied in. And there were probably people who had TB who were diagnosed with nostalgia. Being nostalgic um, for not having TB. I, I would I, think. I, I would imagine. <laughs> um, and there were other ideas that it came from, like I said, the mountains, from certain foods. People thought maybe it comes from masturbation, so you shouldn't do that. There was an idea for a while. Doctors looked for a certain bone in your body that caused nostalgia, and they were never able to find the nostalgia bone. Um but uh, so too changed over time our understanding of nostalgia as an illness as opposed to a benign emotion. And so that's that was like the first step. You saw doctors begin to separate it out as to like, well, maybe there are people who are sick from nostalgia mm. or as we would eventually learn from many other diagnoses. But there are also just people experiencing nostalgia it's just a benign thing. It's just a feeling. Yeah. And it's okay. And it's not a sickness. And from that split, nostalgia became more and more associated, the word, with a normal, global emotion that we feel from time to time I think and not an illness. I think it's interesting that at some point we made the, the juxtaposition from it being based on a location to being based on time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, at some point, right? They're not, in, in no way at this point talking about the pa longing for the past, right? You're longing for your homeland, a place where you live, where I think we commonly use it to refer to like a time period that we cannot return to. Well, and I think that Which was- is interesting because that's kind yeah. of nostalgia that going by this has no cure. You can't cure that. Exactly. Well, and they would argue it's not an illness either. Mm. And that was, as we began to move away from this disease concept of nostalgia, n the word nostalgia began to encompass these other ideas, like you said, not just a place, but a whole, a time, a, a state of being like childhood, yeah. you know, people that were with you or things you felt or smelled or tasted in those moments, all those things nostalgia became associated with once it was disconnected from disease. It was also, like you said, disconnected from location. Mm -hmm. um, and there were also like political implications that came with this as well. People thought nostalgia was longing for us. You'll hear this language today, right? A simpler time, sure, a gentler right. time. These sort of like what were associated with conservative ideas, mm -hmm. whereas progressives were not nostalgic because they were future looking, you know, moving forward. Um, the, the weirdest part, because I think we've come to a point now where we understand nostalgia as 
a distinct emotion that you experience and feel and is not necessarily connected to a location or a nationality or a political leaning. Yeah. It is just a feeling that we all have. Here's the weird part. Not only do we now know it's not a disease, we now believe it might be good for you, perhaps, maybe. There are researchers all over the world, there are researchers in Japan, in England, there are a couple places in the, in the US, where they've studied the effects of nostalgia on the human brain. And what they have found from these different studies is that it seems like activating the memory center of your brain with one of these specific nostalgic memories, not just any memory, not just like, do you remember earlier today when you were in the bathroom? Right. A memory that would have... And I do, yes, fondly. Are you nostalgic for it? In a way, yes. So a memory like that, like when you were in the bathroom earlier and you're feeling nostalgic for that moment, it also, not only when you experience that memory, are you activating that part of your brain, you're activating dopamine in Mm. your brain, pleasure centers. You're releasing these feel-good chemicals that bring you pleasure and joy from experiencing nostalgia. So you get mood enhancement from experiencing nostalgia. It's like a pain that feels good. Like yes. A good feeling. High like pain. a positive longing. Um, beyond that, there was another study who said people who experience nostalgia more often tend to be more empathetic. They tend to socialize more. They t- tend to find more meaning in life than people who don't experience nostalgia very often. And there was even a study suggested that cold weather tends to trigger more nostalgia, hmm. which I thought was very interesting because I would say that's that anecdotally, I would say I would I have experienced that, you know, and I always assumed I, it was connected with like for us, cold weather also equals uh, certain holidays. And perhaps that was why we're in summer. I think about like backdoor, like like backyard. That's interesting. Uh, backyard, like barbecues and playing outside, stuff like that. The, there is the, they've seen some ideas that perhaps it is connected with cold weather and that nostalgia can make you remember times when you were warm. Mm. And can actually make you subjectively feel warmer as a result wow. of activating those centers in your brain. That's cool. Um, not that that's going to like if you are exposed to the elements remembering a warm time. I feel like this is the giver now that we're in. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the giver. You still need to get to a warm place. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But like it might make you think you're warmer than you are. Um, there's actually at the University of Southampton, there is a whole nostalgia group that's studying all these different effects on the human brain. And like also what could we learn about memory from this? Um, they've tried this out with patients who have um, Alzheimer's or some other form of dementia that has caused them some memory loss. You, they have found that accessing musical memories, they can remember those a lot more clearly than other memories that are from the same time period and you would assume both would be gone. So there's something special about certain sensations and, and things we can remember Um, the way we record those memories. And perhaps when it comes to things that are nostalgic, like a song that meant a lot to us or a show that meant a lot to us or something, maybe we can use those tools to help patients with memory loss access those memories. Hmm. Um, There's uh, an adult daycare called Town Square that is all modeled after 1950s America um, because it looks like the environment that these patients are nostalgic for. And so they function better within it. They remember more of what you do in certain environments because of that. Hmm. So there's all sort of interesting implications. Um, I, I, and you know, all of this evidence, all of this research is very 
preliminary suggestive. I know on our show, we're all very um, clear that we don't one study does not mean something is necessarily true. But I think this is a good example of something that is benign to indulge in nostalgia is, you know, at, at, at worst, a nice way to spend a few minutes <laughs> and at best, perhaps cathartic in an important way, perhaps um, gives you a good feeling you know, helps with your mental well-being, helps with your ability to cope with a stressful situation, which I would argue we are all in right now. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty, nobody's trying to sell you anything, which is nice. They're yeah. not trying to, <laughs> to sell you a nostalgia kit. Uh, I would, ar- I would actually argue there are many, many monthly <laughs> subscription boxes that are doing precisely what you were telling me. But Well, and the moment that they start saying that they have research-based, that uh, reasons to do this and that they have medical evidence that these things are good for you, I'll be the first to decry them. But as long as we're all just in agreement that sometimes it feels nice and it is not harmful to be nostalgic for something that made you feel good once long ago, um, I think that that is, that is okay. Maybe, maybe our animal spirits do need to spend more time there. Maybe that wouldn't be harmful. Yeah. There's a great book I'm still reading. I don't usually name sources, but this book explores all these ideas and then a lot more. So if this is something that interests you as much as it's interested me, it's called What Nostalgia Was, War, Empire, and the Time of a Deadly Emotion by Thomas Dodman. I'm reading it. And if this kind of, I don't know, this just fascinated me. And if this fascinates you, um, this is this has been a very interesting read. Um, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope in the future you look fondly back on this time when you were enjoying it. Uh, thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And uh, thanks to Maximum Fun Network for having us as part of their uh, podcasting family. And thanks to you for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, we will be back with you again next week. But until then, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.